listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. My name's Todd. I have the privilege of preaching here at uh, Anthem Church as part of a preaching team. And so uh, thank you guys for allowing me the privilege of doing that. We're going through the book of Galatians. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, please open to Galatians 5. We'll be covering verses 16 through 26 this morning. But before we jump in, I just want to set the context and just remind us a little bit from last week by grabbing one verse from Stan's sermon last week. It's Galatians 5.13. I think it's going to really set the stage for where we're going this morning. So Galatians 5.13, have it up on a slide for you. It says, for you, we're called to freedom, brothers. <clears throat> Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. We just sang about that in the song. We just sang about our flesh, how it, it's imperfect. It can't accomplish what we want to, and so we need God's help. So Paul's summary of last week is be free, but be careful, okay? <laughs> I want you to be free, but I want you to be careful. You can take the captive out of enemy territory, but you can't take all the enemy territory out of the captive. And so you need to be careful. I want you to be free. I want you to live freely but I want you to be careful. And the reason why is because of this thing called the flesh, right? He's like, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So just to be clear on what he's talking about, he's not talking about your skin, right? <laughs> he's not talking about like, the worst part of you is probably your body. <laughs> Some of you may look in the mirror and feel that way sometimes. <laughs> You're like, I don't like my body. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about your physical body. Now, sometimes your body can cause you to stumble and your physical body can create issues for you, but he's not saying that your body is bad and that the soul part of you is good. That's Gnosticism. That's not what he's saying. God likes bodies. He gave you one. <laughs> he seems to be into that. So um, if you didn't have a body, you wouldn't be you. So that'd be a problem. So God likes bodies. He's not talking about that. He's talking about something that's inside here. He's not talking about something out there. <clears throat> he's talking about something that's in here. And so the flesh just basically is this, this desire, this inborn kind of preference for yourself. Like you always choose you. Whatever horse is in the race, if it's my horse, I care about the race and I care about my horse. If it's a dog in the fight, <laughs> I care about the fight because I care about my dog in that particular fight. And the flesh is basically this inborn preference that you have for yourself. And so this is the thing that he's saying is going to be a stumbling block for you. When you're free, you have, still have this penchant, this proclivity to choose yourself over other people, to look to your own interests over other people's. And so you need to be careful because when you just think of yourself as free, you can sometimes run over people because you're not paying attention to the fact that you have this fleshly part of you. And you need to be aware of that and be uh, careful to remember that. It reminds me of like when I worked at a, a meat locker. Um, they, we killed like cows and pigs and everything. But every once in a while we'd kill an ostrich. I don't know if you know anything about ostrich, but A, they're really mean. <laughs> Especially when you're about to kill them, I think they probably kind of know. They have reason, so I, I get that, ostrich, you know, <laughs> like we're about to kill you, so I get it. But the, the thing that they also need to tell you is that when you kill them, they don't die right away. <laughs> they, they kick <laughs> and scream, or not really scream, that's wrong. <laughs> they don't scream. They do kick, okay, they do that. Um, kicking and screaming is a phrase. They only do one of, part of that. <laughs> they only kick. So like a chicken with its head cut off, you, you kill the chicken, but it runs around for a while. But imagine a chicken that's the size of an ostrich, <laughs> and you kill it. It, and it kicks like crazy, and I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that somebody gave me the heads up on that, because otherwise you're watching this dead thing. <laughs> like, in, in all theory, it's dead. It's been killed, but it is kicking, and it is so loud, banging this metal trough that it's in as it's dying, 
your flesh is like a dying ostrich. <laughs> it's been dealt, if you are a Christian, it has been dealt a death blow by the cross of Jesus, but it is kicking. And if you're not careful, if nobody makes you aware that that's happening to you, you might be caught off guard. Like if nobody had told me, hey, after you kill this ostrich, it's gonna act like it's mad at you for a while. <laughs> if, if that would have spooked me, because I'm like, this thing's supposed to be dead. <laughs> if nobody tells you that your flesh is going to flare up every once in a while and kick at you and try and get your attention, it might throw you off. So Paul wants you to know, be free, but be careful. So you are free from sin, but you're not free from responsibility. You're not free from everything. Like, you're not just free from all hindrances, everything that could, could hinder you. Like, you know, like when somebody jumps out of a plane, they call it free falling. But you're free from everything except for one thing, which is gravity. <laughs> like, you're free from every other encumbrance around you, except for the fact that there's this pesky ground waiting beneath you. And so you're not entirely free, and so you have responsibility. You have a responsibility to use the freedom that you now have as somebody who's been set free. And so our big idea this morning is, that we'll see here in our text, is to walk by the Spirit is to fight against the flesh. To be a Christian, to walk with God, to be in step with the Spirit, is to live a life of warfare with the flesh, which means you are at war with this inner desire to choose yourself, because it will come up and you will have to put down the resurgence on many occasions, and it's not a one-done kind of deal. So he starts kind of at an aerial view of what this battle looks like, the Google Earth perspective of what this war looks like. And so we're going to look at verses 16 through 18 to start off. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So Christian, the first thing I want you to know, and this is true of only Christians, by the way. I'm not speaking to people who don't worship Jesus. If you don't worship Jesus, you have just your flesh. You have nothing trying to combat that. You're just on your own. And you might feel bad about stuff sometimes, but that's just guilt of like, it's just different fleshes fighting with yourself. Like, oh, I feel bad that I didn't do well on a test. Or it, you still let people down and feel bad, but you don't have the spirit fighting against your flesh. So this is true for only Christians. But the first thing I want you to know, Christian, is that your life will be a constant struggle. Welcome to church. <laughs> like, who wants to sign up? Look at verse 16. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He doesn't say, if you walk by the Spirit, the desires of your flesh just go away. They just evaporate. No, he says, you will not gratify them. They are still there, but you will not gratify them. And this word gratify is kind of a fun word in Greek. It means like, it means un, un, unfold to completion. So the word gratify literally means it, it runs its course. It runs itself all the way out. Like imagine like an old pirate's telescope. You know, those things, like when you're cartoons, you think those things, they come up all the time in cartoons. You think in real life you'd see them more often, but you don't. Um, there are those things, you know, it goes, dunk, 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 dunk. <laughs> you know, by the time it's done, now he has his telescope. Now he can see yonder plunder um, through his telescope. That's the word. It's gratify is once it's all the way out, once it's run its course. So you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. You won't let them run their entire course. It won't get to where it's trying to go. And James 1, 14 through 15 says this. I have it on a slide so you don't have to turn there. Just hold your finger in Galatians. 
Look what James says. He says, this is instructive and helpful on this topic of gratifying the desires. He says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. There's a progression. There's an unfolding that takes place. It starts with this desire that you have, which leads to temptations, which are out there. And desire says when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. Now, I have six kids, so I know a little bit about how some of this works. You don't conceive and then have a kid tomorrow. It takes a while. It has to incubate. It has to grow. It feeds off of you. And in nine to 10 months, you have a child. This is the process. So desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin festers and it grows up, and it, it's in there, and then you give birth to it, which is a graphic word picture for what happens here. But then, even then, it's not done. It's just a little baby sin. And, you know, babies can cause, you know, can cause some trouble, but they can only do so much. But, like, you know, you ever met a toddler? Like, if they could do what they wanted to do, they would murder all of us. <laughs> like, right, like, in their hearts, they're just like, I just want to kill all of you, but they, they can't do it. They're too little. <laughs> and, but that's in there, because they just hate all of you for not paying attention to them, and they're, you know, just serving them every moment of every second. But when that grows up, if that's still in there, when sin grows up, imagine the damage it can do as a full-grown adult. It's a process. It gets there. But what Paul says in Galatians is that if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It will not go there. You will stop it before it grows up. You will kill it before it grows up. You will do that. You'll take ownership of it, and you can do that in Christ. You have the ability to say no to yourself. Did you know that, Christian? You can say no to yourself, and you should. <laughs> not all the time, not without any kind of other factors to be considered, but you have the ability to say no to your flesh. You can say, I choose somebody else's thing over my thing. I choose their dog in the fight over mine. And I think C.S. Lewis does a good job of... Uh, walking us through this. I don't have it up on a slide. I just want to read it to you. He's talking about this idea of temptation. And Christian, I just want you to know, some of you feel like if I'm tempted, I'm failing. Temptation is not failure. Temptation is part of being human. Jesus was tempted. Jesus never failed. So Jesus isn't a bad person to have been tempted. You're bad when you act on it. That's what sin is. Sin is to act on the temptation. And so I want you to know, Christian, that you will have temptations. It's what you do with them. Do they unfold or do they stop? Because Paul just said, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not do that. And so C.S. Lewis wants to help us, I feel like, on this. And he says, no man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. Anybody know that experience from firsthand? I do. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. He was writing post-World War II. You find out the strength of the wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight against it. You don't know how strong it is until you fight it, until you resist, until you hold out and you don't give in. And so people think, oh, well, Jesus, it was easy for him to resist sin because he was God. So he just hit the God button and went into God mode. You know, like if you're a video game guy, he went into God mode and just like impervious to everything. Jesus' temptations were worse than yours. 
because they get stronger as you resist them longer. You don't know what it's like to be tempted like that because you give in too early. You've never resisted that long. It only gets harder. It only gets stronger the longer you hold out. So both think of Jesus and his ability and his, and he wasn't even doing it for his own self. He was doing it for you. He held out so long. I would have a greater appreciation for what he actually did in resisting temptation. And B, on your side, understand that when you resist, you will have pushback because you have the flesh, you have the spirit, and you saw the verses, they are fighting each other. So the Christian life is harder than not. And I'm sorry if nobody ever told you that. I, I genuinely am sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry if you've never had anybody tell you that. To be a Christian is harder than to not be one because you are engaged in a battle. And it's worth it, and you have God's help, but it will be a constant struggle. And you need to know that so that when you're struggling, you don't think, am I even a Christian because Christians shouldn't struggle. They will struggle, but it's how you struggle, what you're struggling against, what resources you use to, to engage in the fight and how the fight is going. And so the, the Bible promises that the desires of flesh will fight against you, but it also promises that by the power of the Spirit, you can say no. It promises you in the verse, you will not. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh when you lean into the spirit. And that is freedom. The ability to say no to yourself is actual freedom. You might think you're free. We, we think of freedom as the ability to say yes to anything. The biblical freedom is the ability to say no to yourself. That's what freedom is biblically. And understand from verse 17 here, there's no middle ground on this. Look what he says. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for they are opposed to each other. Don't, don't make the mistake of, of, of assuming you can form some kind of peace treaty between the spirit and the flesh, and maybe I can live like in the middle area, like with one foot in the flesh and one foot in the spirit, and maybe they'll just work it out. You know, like, like we had a, some weird family thing where it's like, oh, maybe we'll just all get along somehow. It's not gonna happen. They're, they're, they hate each other. Like the, the, the King James says, like the, the flesh lusteth after the spirit and the spirit. They're, they're like, they can't, they can't coexist. They won't get along. So if you are not struggling with sin, it's because you're siding with it. If you are not struggling with sin this morning, it's because you are siding with it. You are on its team because the spirit won't stop fighting. If the spirit is in you, he won't stop fighting against the flesh. He won't stop fighting against sin. And now, I don't know how you came in this morning, but seasonally, this looks different for us, right? If you've been a Christian at, in, for any length of time, you've seen hills and valleys, right? <laughs> like the song, like ups and downs, right? Like, I don't know why that song popped in my head, but um, it's a decent song. Um, so anyways, there, you, there's seasons where it's, it changes, right? Like where it feels different. So if you, I don't know where you're at this morning, but if you're having a great success this morning, like you're in a good spot. You're feeling step with the spirit. You're reading your Bible. You're, you feel like you're doing well. It's a great season to strengthen your defenses and to sharpen weapons because it's not a matter of, when, or I mean, it's not a matter of if things are gonna happen. It's a matter of when. When is it going to get hard again? When will it be hard again? It's not a matter of if. Will it ever be hard again? It will be. Enjoy the season, embrace it, have fun. <laughs> Praise God and strengthen your defenses because a battle is coming. The, the, the flesh will not stop fighting against you. It won't lay down. It's like that dying ostrich. It's gonna, until its very last electricity has pulsed through its muscles, it's gonna kick as hard as it can and try and get your attention. And so a helpful phrase that I've come across in this is the more you sweat in peace, 
the less you bleed in war. If it's a time of peace, it's not bubble bath time, guys. <laughs> if you're having a great morning, you're having a great month, it's not bubble bath time. It's put your back into it time. It's strengthen the walls, sharpen the swords, because a battle is coming. And the more that you sweat in times of peace, the less you will bleed in actual war. What about those of you who walked in here today and you, that's not your season? That maybe would have described you in the past, but this morning, that's not you. You're in a season of great struggle and difficulty, and you feel like all, you're just taking fire from everywhere, and you're failing, and you're looking around, and you're, you're having that thought, am I even a Christian this morning? What am I doing here? I want to believe, but I'm struggling. I've been giving in. Temptation's been hard. What do I do? I think scripture this morning gives us two, one exhortation, one encouragement. The exhortation is fight for victory. The verse, is, the verse said, verse 16, that if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the flesh. Believe that. Put your faith in the promise that God just told you. If you walk in step with him, it won't always be like this. You will see victory. You will see the Spirit overcome because it will not stop fighting for you. He's on your side and he loves you and he's committed to you more than you're committed to yourself. And he will run this course out and the encouragement, fight for victory, fight from victory. Verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you, if you are a Christian and you feel that pinch of condemnation, like the song says, when condemnation grips my heart and tempts me to despair, when, when that happens, I look to the cross and the sinless Savior who died in my place. I look to him. You're not under the law. Romans 8, verse 1 through 2, Paul, after beautifully articulating at the end of chapter 7 how this is real in his life, how he struggles with sin and the flesh, the apostle Paul, who writes books of the Bible on his free time when he's not busy being stoned, <laughs> not stoned, <laughs> when he's busy being, when people are attempting to murder him with stones. <laughs> it's so weird that you have to clarify that in a culture anymore. Um, when he's not doing that, when he's struggling with himself, when he's, this is real for him. He knows what it's like. Read, read Romans 7. He knows what it's like to want things and to have the spirit and the flesh fighting inside of him. And he comes to this conclusion of like, wretched man who I am, who can save me from this body of death? Like, is it always gonna be like this, this constant struggle? And it's so hard. And the pinch of condemnation comes in and I think because I'm struggling, I'm not even sure I'm a Christian anymore. I thought I would be better than this by now. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, both I think is a reminder to himself and to his readers, the Romans, and to us, the readers of the letter today. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you are in Christ, the condemnation you're feeling is not true. It doesn't stick. It doesn't hold weight. If you are in Christ, you are free. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. You are no longer under the law, is what he said in Galatians. You are no longer under that. You're free from that. You're free from the weight of that. And so what you do have now, like we said, you're not free from sin. You are free from sin, but you're not free from responsibility. You have responsibility. And what I want you to think of responsibility is your response to his ability. You do have a responsibility, but it's your response to his ability. So have faith that works hard, believing that he will do exactly what he said he will do. Have faith in him and his ability. 
that you will see progress. It won't always be like this. But also have faith and rest well, knowing that you have forgiveness, present tense, at this very second. It's not something you're working towards. Forgiveness isn't dangled as a carrot. You're not working hard to get that. You're working hard because you have that. Fight for victory in present tense against sin in the flesh, but fight from victory. Use the, use the cross as your motivation, as your comfort, as you rest well in that and fight hard in the battle. So that's big picture aerial view, but what does this look like, boots on the ground? He transitions in verses 19 through 23 to kind of give us an idea of what that looks like. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things, and he doesn't mean like have ever done them once, he means if this is your practice, if this is what you do, this is how you do you, as you do this kind of stuff, people who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They won't earn it, and they're certainly not gonna be given it given it by a dead savior. They're not going to earn the kingdom of heaven and he's not gonna will it to them after his death. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. So I wanna point out to you a couple of things. So we have the works of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit. So it's still the fruit and the spirit fighting, but now it's like their tactics. It's like, what are they using boots on the ground to actually combat each other? And I wanna point out a couple of things. There's a numerical difference. Did you see that? It's works, plural, of the flesh versus fruit, singular, of the spirit. I think that's important because you see at the end, in verse 21, he says, and things like these. So I, I thought he had a pretty decent list going as it was. <laughs> like he, he, he mentioned several things, but in his head, he's like, and on and on and so and so, et cetera. Because there's literally an infinite number of ways to get this wrong, right? The flesh can turn out, there's any number of ways. He's like, and things like that, you know? Because <laughs> there's any number of ways to get that wrong. So I have uh, young children, so if I ask them, you know, what's two plus three? If they say four, six, 500, two zillion, negative 10, there's an infinite number of ways to get that particular question wrong. If I ask you what's two plus three, you can, there's literally infinite number of ways in either direction to be wrong. There's one way to be right. There's one correct answer, and it's five. Two plus three is five. That's what he's talking about here. The works of the flesh, there are any number of ways to get this thing wrong. So I, he's like, I don't have time to run this thing out because I could literally keep writing forever. I got, you know, just keep popping into mind because you're very creative at finding ways to not do what you're supposed to do. You ever found that? You're far more creative when it comes to trying to get out of something <laughs> than when you are, when you're trying to have to do something, all of a sudden the wheel, you have, you have like obedience block. You're like, oh, I don't know how to do that. Oh, it's so hard. But if you're trying to get out of it, all of a sudden, boom, 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 fireworks. Like <laughs> I have a million ideas of how to not to do what I'm supposed to do. And I can think of any number of ways why it's not my fault that I didn't do it. But I have a really hard time trying to figure out how to do the one thing I've been asked to do. So works of the flesh, fruit of the spirit. So I think it's important that he said numerically they're different. Works, plural, fruit, singular. So don't think of like apples, bananas, oranges, grapes, pears. Like, like he's not saying that. He's saying ripe, red, crisp, cold, juicy, crunchy, fresh up the tree, apple. Right? So he's talking about when you say love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, he's not talking about nine separate things. 
that you all need to work on. It's like, this morning I'm really good at love, but I'm not very faithful. It's like, how would you, how would you do one without the other? How could you be loving somebody without being faithful to them? <laughs> like, I don't even understand how that would be possible. He's describing the one fruit in different ways. And that's actually really helpful to us this morning because we don't have nine different tasks to go like, well, I got the, the grapes and the strawberry part down. <laughs> but I'm kind of like, I don't, where do you even find apples this time of year? I don't even know. Like, you don't have this extra task. You have one stop shop for everything you need for goodness and godliness, and it's the Holy Spirit. And God gives you that by your faith in Jesus. So you have the one thing that you need to do what he's asked you to do, to be who you are in Christ. Now, not only is there a, a numerical difference, but there's a substantial difference. The substance is different. Did you see it's wages, or it's uh, works of the flesh and fruit of the spirit. It's not wages and wages or fruit and fruit. It's not apples, apples. Uh, Part, dad pun, sorry. <laughs> he doesn't say apples to apples. He says works and fruit. So he even uses categorically different things. And I think that's important because they actually are substantively different. The works of the flesh are a product of law, of wages, of, of feeling like you're not getting what you deserve. You're not getting what you're owed. And so when you look at this list, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, you do those because you don't feel like you have what you are owed. I'm owed immediate pleasure and gratification. I shouldn't have to wait. I shouldn't have to be married. I shouldn't have to have all these rules. I should just get to do what I want. I have feelings and I have things that I want to do and I, I'm owed those things and it comes from a heart of I'm trying to do what I'm owed. Idolatry and sorcery. I, have, I need answers that I don't have. I need abilities to, to manipulate the world in ways that I don't have and I need to go somewhere to give it to find those you're owed something. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. I need control. I, I'm owed a world of order. And when you throw my world out of order by not going when the light's green, that makes me mad. Because <laughs> it's green, it means go! <laughs> like, you know, like horns are made just so like, it's essentially horns or middle fingers that you just like, it comes pre-built into your car. They assume you're going to want to do that to people. Um, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. I'm owed more than what I have, and it's not fair that you have it. So I need to form my own team and either complain about the fact that you have it, or we need to form a band and come take what you have. Because it's not fair, it's not equally distributed, and we're owed something, and so we're gonna take it away from you. Drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I'm owed a break, aren't I? Don't I deserve some release, to blow off some steam? Don't I deserve that? Is it, doesn't everybody feel the need just to blow off steam every once in a while? It all comes from a, a, an understanding of seeing the world as, as wages and works and law and what I'm owed and what people owe me. And Romans 6.23 even caches this out in the same language. I have it up on a slide where he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We see the exact same thing. Numerically, wages, gift. We see the substantial difference. Wages are what you earn. Gift is what you're given. It's grace. And so the fruit of the Spirit is, is made nutritious by grace. And that's kind of the last area I want to camp on before we leave. Did you notice that the main character, have you seen the word Spirit shows up seven times in 11 verses? Who is the main character of this story? It's the Holy Spirit. It's not you. This has very real Tuesday afternoon implications for you, but you are not the main character of this story. You're not the main character of your own story. The Holy Spirit is the main character of your story, and if he is fighting for you and in you, he will never give up, 
He's always on your side. He always wants to remind you of what you already have, and he wants you to strive to do more and more for the sake of what God has done for you. So when it comes to fruit, you look at this and you're like, oh, I just wish I was more faithful. I wish I was more gentle. That's good that you desire that. Lean into the spirit and grow in it. The rule of fruit inspecting is if you think you're ripe, you're probably rotting. But if you think you're green, you're probably growing. If you think you've arrived, you're no longer leaning into grace. You're probably rotten. And just ask somebody, ask your friends. If you think you've arrived, do yourself a favor and have lunch with somebody and ask them if you've arrived. Ask somebody who you know loves you enough to tell you <laughs> the truth, not your yes people that you typically follow, you surround yourself with. And if you think you're green, you're like, oh, I'm just sucking at some of this stuff. I wish I was better. You're probably growing. You're in a perfect place for grace to come meet you where you're at so you can grow. And so the last three verses, 24 through 26, we want to start talking about baptism because we're going to see the response of baptism today. And the verses say this, and those who belong to Christ, who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh. They've killed, they've put that me first on the altar and said, done. They put it on a cross and nailed it there and said, I'm done with you. I'm done listening to you. I say no to you now with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Baptism, we often respond in communion here at Anthem. This morning we're going to respond by watching someone respond in baptism on a personal level. As a corporate level, we get to watch a personal response to what this looks like. Communion is the same as baptism. It is a matter of life and death. This is not some just thing you go through. It's not just getting your card stamped so that you can show that you're in the book. When you stand here, you stand like Jesus, who publicly was crucified in front of everyone. You could have, it was like done at the Aldi parking lot. It was done in front of everybody. He was murdered in front of everyone. You could look at it with your eyes and see it. It wasn't hidden. It wasn't done in a back alley where somebody paid somebody to off somebody and then tried to get away with it. It was done in public. And then he was buried for three days where he lay in a tomb where his disciples wondered, what's going on? What's the hope of this? What, did we all believe in vain? Only three days later to rise from the dead publicly again for everyone to see. Everyone saw the risen Christ. 500 people at one time saw him. Baptism is a symbol of I am identifying with what that is. He died, I'm dead. He was buried, that flesh is buried. He rose to life, I am new in him. I'm with him. Whatever comes my way after this day, I am with him. And that's what baptism is a symbol of. You are crucifying the flesh and you are living. It says if we live by the spirit, it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of what you die to and a matter of what you live to. Now, this, now Erica's going to specifically do that through baptism, but it is a response for all of us. The Christian life is a matter of life and death. What are you dying towards? What things are dying away? Is it hopefully it's the works of the flesh that are dying down, that you're putting down those resurgences? And what things are you coming alive to? Hopefully it's the things of gentleness, faithfulness, prayer, others-centeredness. So let's pray, and as we do that, um, Erica and um, those who are going to accompany her will come up on the stage, and then we will hear her testimony and watch her respond by being baptized in the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, that it clearly gives us rails to run on and lets us know what to expect out of life. There are times, Lord, where I'm so discouraged because I thought I would be better than what I am by now. And for those who are in this room this morning who come in and they're taking fire and they just feel defeated, 
May your word this morning encourage them to fight, to keep fighting. It won't always be like this. To believe the, the promises of your word, that we will see victory. We will see the flesh defeated. We will see ourselves be able to say no and see sin not grow up and unfold to its fullest completion. We will see that happen with more regularity as the kicking dies down and the flesh is put away. Um, and for those who are in a great season, Lord, I pray that they would put their back into it and see it as a great season to be involved in ministry, not to just sit back and relax, but to enjoy the ceasefire as an opportunity to build up their defenses, that they would do that not by returning, like Luke said even earlier, to the flesh and returning to me and I will and I can, but to return to you did and therefore I will, um, that they would, they would see that and feel that and, and, and minister to those around us and that as a community, you would have us all lean into your spirit and, uh, and see the flesh defeated, see your fruit grow up to maturity um, in ourselves and in a, as a, a corporate body that we would see more and more fruit for your glory, for our good, and for our neighbor's good. And it's in your name we pray, amen.